Good evening. Hello, hello. Once again, it's been a few weeks, but we're back. Welcome to another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Gentlemen, how are you? Resting well, doing okay. Put a little work in this week. Things are going well. Doc, how you doing? Man, it's been a uh, whirlwind month. I've literally been from north, southwest, east, and west. I've been up as far as Dayton and Columbus. For east is Atlanta. For west is San Diego. And then it seems like everywhere between. And just this past weekend, I was literally over... uh, Two days, I was everywhere from Houston to Waco to Dallas to San Antonio and back. Now I'm back in Houston, so I I put much stress myself, but I think we got it done. Got a lot of things to share with you. You're a bad man, Doc. So uh, let's start kind of in the middle and talk about the uh, women's final four in Columbus because I have a something I want to uh, discuss that I haven't heard or seen mentioned since Notre Dame won the national championship thanks to Wike Ogunbowale's shot with 0.1 seconds left to defeat Mississippi State, um, 61-58 in the national championship game. All three games were close. In Notre Dame, Wike hit the game winner Friday to beat UConn to surprise some folks, including me, because I mean, I was certain UConn would get to the Final Four, and I really thought UConn would win the championship. And then, of course, Mississippi State beat Louisville in overtime. Both semifinal, semifinal games went to overtime. So that was good. It was good for TV. It sparked interest nationally. That was all that was great to see. People were hyped, calling it the best women's Final Four ever. Enrique, um, after her Winning shot over UConn. Talked about and hashtagged her Mamba mentality because Kobe Ryan was at the game with his wife and I think daughters were there as well at Columbus attending the game. And then after she won the championship in the championship game over Mississippi State, she talked about once again the Mamba mentality. Gentlemen, I want to get your thoughts on this. <clears throat> this is a a different take. Uh, you know, I'm a different kind of dude. I think outside the box a little bit. I think it's interesting and also curious and perhaps bothersome that Enrique Ogumwale, a women's college basketball player, cites a men, a man as the GOAT slash greatest of all time rather than a woman. Not Maya Moore, not Deanna Taurasi, etc. And no one, no women in media, I'd say no one, but very few have mentioned it or discussed it. Thoughts? And, nope. let, me, and let me say this as well. This goes back to me, for me, years, when I was at KCOH radio, I won't name the name of the players, but I think Wildcat, and I think, Doc, we talked about this 
in the past, but years ago, we asked members of a very successful girls AAU team who their favorite basketball players were. None of them named a woman. Fast forward 15, 18 years later, most outstanding player of the women's final four considers a man the goat rather than a woman. So how can women's basketball reach its ultimate potential if the women's college players do not begin acknowledging other women's players as greatest of all time. Doc, you want to start or you want me to go? You you can go ahead and start off. Okay. All right. Uh, I remember the conversation. And from what I can tell, uh, this does, as you say, this is all individual observation. That's what they see. That's what they've always seen. Even when they, they're they coming up through the ranks from high, middle school to high school, questions are asked. It's always about a male basketball player uh, on a uh, professional level. And I think it has to go with more so of what they see rather than what they accept as competition on the next level of where they're trying to get to. Because we all have to have to have to pay attention to uh, the WNA, WNBA uh, is only what uh, uh, what twenty years old at most, right? What they've known and what is pushed is a league that's more established and access to it goes back to the conversation you had uh, posted online. Uh, last week during the tournament, they pushed the professional league on the second and third tier of advertising and marketing. And I, me personally, I attribute that fault is at the feet of the professional players. At some point, they have to provide marketing and push their own league out front or at least on a tier one or tier two level to where access is freely sought and provided for everyone not on a paid second second third or fourth tier media outlet and when they go to when they are invited to games it's usually with a second or third tier College team, not to a tier one. Also, when they're invited to games, it's always on the professional level and then looking at the NBA. I don't know how they get around. Uh, and this is, just, 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 this is where we all uh, have to put a finger in, our foot in, and, and try and, and help out our, adv- and our advancement on our home. How they get around the marketing part of it and how they instill on the next level, which is college for high school kids, that 
women's basketball can be what they want it to be if they provide an outlet. Doc? I think Jerry makes some extremely important points uh, in regards to marketing and that's what they see. I think all of those things are true, but I'm not sure if we're getting to the root of what I would see as the issue here. And some people may question whether what I'm going to say is actually an issue at all uh, or a problem per se. Uh, but to get to the point that Chris has, I think is a brilliant point and one that we need to dissect critically. We need to engage in tremendous dialogue over your question, particularly in this space and time when you have women pushing forward more than ever their position in the society. But if we look at this from a historical lens, which you know that's one thing that I like to do as we interrogate this further, I think we have to understand whether we, as we look at social implications of society from a sporting context, we also, we also have to critically look at the historical framework. So as we know in this society, oftentimes we look at the lens through a very machismo component of sports. Obviously, at times we looked at the ethnic breakup, racial components of this. But this time, I think in a lot of ways, we're going to look at this, what I would say, in terms of patriarchy. And I'm sure most of our listeners clearly understand what that is. But just so we're working off a formal definition, if you allow me uh, to provide this definition uh, as we move forward, we understand patriarchy as a system of a society or government in which the father or eldest male is head of the family and descent is traced through the male line. We know that for the most part in the country we are in, you take the lineage from your father in terms of your naming. And that has a lot to what we're doing with, more so really in the context that we're talking about. The system of society a government in which the men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. So in a lot of ways, we think from the process that uh, women, we have women's sports, Title IX has done so much, come a long way. Uh, women essentially can uh, be anything in this country. Throughout our last election, a couple of cycles, particularly last one, we had the fact that you had a woman running for president. Uh, literally won the popular vote. Obviously, that's not how the election is is done as we look uh, with Trump being the president. But the point where I'm getting at is the fact that because the society is set up this way, even women that push to the forefront in a lot of uh, areas all their life, they've seen men in power uh, and women are largely excluded so seriously in this content. And I think that's what you're getting at when Jerry talks about the fact that that's what they see. Uh, you turn to ESPN and you see highlights, you see NBA out there 
prominently up there. And we look at the history of that. WNBA is nuked in a lot of ways. Even when you look at college sports, the women's basketball is new in a lot of ways. So you have a lot of history. And so if you don't confront that issue and make it a forefront and understand that it's important to see yourself as a hero, you won't do it. We see this in a lot of contexts when you hear uh, people of color, particularly African-Americans, talking about that they want people that look like them in positions so they can exalt themselves and see themselves in that framework. Well, it's the same with basketball. If you don't see yourself on TV and, and people referring to you as the greatest of all time, unless you uh, are from a family that pushes that in a lot of narrative, you won't even think about it, and, you, and, you, and you'll do it automatically. And I think that's what you have women doing in a lot of ways. Automatically, they see men in the basketball as the greatest. So that's what they exalt to. That's what they talk about. And so uh, until you have more people pushing the serious issue, you have people such as Chris asking these critical questions and others out there examining and, and interrogating it from a, a constructive but very positive framework, Appreciate it. And gentlemen, how can folks find you on the internet? You can find the social media platforms. This is Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. You can find me at just that, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill on social media platforms such as Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A. C-A-V-I-L, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A, C-A-V-I-L. Updated the website uh, in regards to the website address. You can go to the Heritage Agency, the Heritage Group Agency, excuse me, .com, and you can check, check me out on the website as well and get all types of great information. Lockout. You can find me... Uh online at uh, Facebook, Twitter, TweetDeck, at Jerry L. Woodley Jr., J.L. Woodley 1. Uh, also, you can find me on YouTube, Blogger, Blogspot, SoundCloud, AKSV, DCSR, The College Sports Report. And now, and I'm KG of the Houston Round Ball Review. HoustonRoundBarReview.com, Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram and YouTube. And kudos to the folks who have signed up to follow me on Instagram and YouTube lately. I guess it's it's uh, playoff time, or maybe it's because of the a combination of U of H's men and the, getting to the second round of the tournament and the Rockets rolling through the NBA. I'm getting more and more followers on both. So that's good to see. Appreciate that. Um, our podcasts are available on iTunes and SoundCloud, Google Play, so different podcast outlets as well. want to get your thoughts before we go into um, some HBCU info. Rockets, real quick. Rockets are 64 and 16, best record in the NBA clinched home court throughout two games left in the regular season before the playoffs begin 
this coming weekend, Saturday or Sunday. Hopefully, um, the Rockets game one will be Sunday, April 15th, rather than Saturday the 14th. That's the schedule. Is out. I said, hopefully. <laughs> I kind of wanted to be one of to, to be fair. That's that just me personally. They have what? Three through eight haven't been determined yet. Won't be determined yet in the West until the last day of the season. So that's Wednesday. Now, now before but, you get further down the road, explain to folks what went on and what's going on with that three through eight and why all of those teams are in a, in a, in a conundrum of where they might or might not be. There's no conundrum. Everybody has a similar record. Everybody's good. You know, I think uh, you got teams that are 46 and 34 hovering around 6th, 7th, 8th spot. So, I mean, in the West, of course, the East is, once again, not that good in terms of record. Uh, let's see. Let me look at the West. Rockets are on top, seven games ahead of second place Golden State, 16 games ahead of third place Portland. Portland is 48 and 32. Third, Utah, fourth, 47, 33. Five, six, seven. New Orleans, San Antonio, Oklahoma City. Each, 46, 34. Minnesota and Denver are 45 and 35. Both of them is tied for eighth place, but Minnesota has the tiebreaker head to head. So currently, Denver is in ninth and is 45 and 35. The best, the eighth best record in the East, the Wizards are 42 and 38. So there will be eight, all 16 teams that qualify for the playoffs without winning records. So that's good. But even on the East, six, seven, and eight, Miami and Milwaukee are 43 and 37. In six and seven, Wizards are eight at 42 and 38. So those three teams are fighting for positioning in six, seven, and eight. Cleveland is 49 and 31. They're in fourth spot. Seem to have that pretty much wrapped up. Um, They got two games left. Indiana is 48 and 33 in the fifth spot. They only have one game left. So you're probably looking at a Cleveland Indiana first round matchup. Cleveland, it's LeBron James. I've said it in different radio shows, and I had a guest appearance on Rochester Station in New York. As long as LeBron is healthy and playing until otherwise, LeBron and the Cavs are coming out of the East. Kyrie Irving is will miss the playoffs following surgery. The Sixers are playing great. They won 14 games in a row. They're the hot ticket. In the playoffs, but they're young. Until they get it done, I'm not going to pick them. Raptors, top spot, 58 and 22, great record. Can't be the Cavs in playoffs. Can't be LeBron in playoffs. It's a possible second round matchup: Raptors, Cleveland. You probably won't see anybody picking Toronto to win that series because of LeBron James and how the Raptors seem to go into a shell. Come playoff time. So the playoffs is another different level of basketball. 
looking forward to it. Rockets are the best team, have the best record. They're not exactly 100% healthy. And Saturday's loss to the Thunder, you could see how much they miss Eric Gordon and his shooting ability. And Ryan Anderson, both of them, Eric has left ankle soreness. That's what they call it. But after the game, even though the loss snapped the Rockets' 20-game home winning streak, players weren't worried, weren't concerned. Mike D'Antoni wasn't concerned. Now, they haven't played great ball the last four games. They're not worried. You know, they got the best record wrapped up. They probably took the foot off the gas pedal a little bit. Human nature, as D'Antoni refers to it, not much to play for lately. So why really go hard, bust your behind these last four games? But Eric Gordon, you're seeing teams double-team Harden out, out top. These playoff teams have the ability, most of them, the ability and the athleticism to re- recover and rotate quickly to the other three-point shooters. So without Eric Gordon in there to make shots, the Rockets against Portland missed all 14 three-point attempts in the second half. They had a 94-77 lead in the fourth quarter with roughly four minutes remaining. Lost all of it. 17 unanswered points by Blazer Scrubs because Damian Lillard did not play. Head coach Terry Stotts cleared his bench. Those bench guys came in and scored 17 straight points to tie the game up. And then Chris Paul won the game for the Rockets. Baking a shot with, I think, 0.8 seconds remaining. So, this Rockets still find ways to get it done, but you see more and more how important Eric Gordon is to this team come off the bench, being that, that third scoring threat, that third reliable perimeter threat. So, I'm looking forward to it. Sounds like Wildcat prefers the game to be on Saturday, game one, be on Saturday the 14th. I think Rockets' last game, they played the last two games on the road, Tuesday and Wednesday, West Coast. Being the top team, it wouldn't be fair to me and some of my other media friends for them to play Saturday with having to be on West Coast Wednesday. So that's why we're thinking they're going to play Sunday. At what time? 2.30 is the prime time. You know, that's the number one team usually. LeBron James. So if it's not 2.30 Sunday, then the late game Sunday night. We'll see. The schedule should come out late Wednesday or early Thursday. Obviously, you can go to NBA.com or you can follow me on Twitter at VHRReview. I'll have it as soon as possible as well. But I'm looking forward to all those things as I ramble on. But just, gentlemen, give me your thoughts as well on Rockets, LeBron, playoffs, are the Warriors still the favorite, even though Steph Curry may not be back into the second round? What are your thoughts? All right. Uh, we already know about the Kyrie Irving situation with Boston. At least it was smart on that part to accept it for what it was, surgery is surgery, and guys need to get well, and you take your chances. Uh, but right now, hopefully – 
outside of Eric Gard, that's the only injury that's that's lingering with the Rockets and nobody else, you know, suffers anything. Uh, Golden State right now, what's the question mark with them as as far as them getting their guys back in time for at least a second round run? Golden State's problem is that if they're not healthy, they're bored, and their defense is taking a step back. Mm. And and let's also toss this in. This will be they've had NBA Finals appearances three years in a row, two championships. They're going for a fourth straight trip to the finals. All these games add up. You know, you're playing to June three years in a row. You're playing up to 100 games, regular season and playoffs, if not more. These guys aren't robots. They aren't machines. You can talk about all the rest that you get here and there during the season, not playing a game here and there. Very few teams, if any team, this is not the 50s and the 60s when the Celtics won eight straight titles. Those days are over. So the Warriors, the window was starting to shrink. Teams starting to catch up to them. They're starting to get old. Body's starting to break down. So we'll see how things go. Like I said, Rockets' record is seven games, seven, seven games better than the Warriors. Does not mean if the two teams match in the Western Conference Finals, that more folks won't pick the Warriors to win the matchup. But as of right now, the Warriors are not playing great basketball. Going to play out time, we'll see. You know, a possible Warriors-Pelicans first-round matchup. Hell, a possible Warriors-OKC first-round matchup. Networks will love that. Oh, man. Russ will love love that. That would be just lovely. You know, Russ going against Kevin Durant. We got Paul George, Carmelo. They may have more stars on OKC than you do without Steph Curry on the Warriors. OKC is beginning to play better. It seems like they're finding, figuring things out. I wouldn't pick OKC to win that series, but it wouldn't shock me if they go seven. Hmm. And the longer the Warriors play, and if the Rockets do their thing and get done in four or five, more time to rest. The more time you get to rest in the playoffs, the better it is for the team. So while your opponent is beating itself up, beating it up against other opponents, and you resting, chilling, the longer it goes, the better event that is for you. So we'll see how I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. And it's going to be good for my YouTube, Instagram hit. Voila. Doc. <laughs> I'm of that mentality that uh, until you get over that hump, it's, it's, it's a challenge. So you got to get it, get, it, get it done. And so you give all the credit to the Houston Rockets for uh, a tremendous season. Uh, 
Harden for his MVP play. We've seen him get right up to the edge and couldn't get it done in terms of the MVP. Now, obviously, that's not of his own volition in regards. He's left, left it all on the court, and other people have to vote on that. That's the good thing about playing the game. But in the past, they haven't quite had it done. Now, this is obviously a different team with some key players added to the roster. And as you said, Golden State Warriors are hurt and not playing well, but it's just something about the playoffs when you're talking about a champion. Can they put it together uh, for those particular runs and get it done? So I think it's – I'm just excited about the playoffs. I think you're going to get some fabulous matchups. You had a long season, as you talked about, a lot of grind and some challenging injuries to some players we'd love to see in the playoffs. And so that, to some degree, is a disappointment. But in terms of the teams and the expectations and some key matchups uh, uh, with the potential of the Houston Rockets, Golden State Warriors, final, uh, another Toronto Raptors, Cleveland, Cavaliers matchup potentially uh, in terms of the East. And can these two teams, essentially what you're asking the same question, can these two teams or one of these two teams, uh, for that matter, find a way to get over the hump and, and kind of exercise those demons uh, for the teams that uh, essentially knock them out? And so uh, until they get it done, we'll sort of see, and you can see why people would pick Golden State Warriors because they found ways uh, to get it done, to prevail in terms of injuries in the past with key players, uh, uh, Kevin Durant last year. And so you just, in my opinion, until somebody finally knocks them off, it is what it is. And you'll get to gloat a little bit in terms of you being the first one out there and say you shouldn't be surprised if the Rockets get it done. But I would admit that I'll be surprised until they get it done. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not picking the Rockets to win the championship. You're not? No, 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 no. You're not giving them? Until. <laughs> you're not going to. You're not going to. No, 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 no. Until they beat the Warriors. Until they beat the Warriors, I'm going to pick the Warriors. Gotcha. Oh, no, 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 no. Same here. If it comes down, it, if it comes down to coaching Steve Kerr and Tony, I'm picking Steve Kerr. If it comes down to Kevin Durant, being seven feet tall, when the Rockets go small, Kevin Durant's still seven feet tall. Small ball is good. Kevin Durant pull up and go be four inches taller than everybody else when he takes that jumper or goes under to the post as long as he keeps the ball above his waist and just turns the post. Gentlemen, I mean, just think about this. When a team goes small, quicker, all those things, but if you got a guy another team who can score in the low post and is a tall guy, not saying he's some seven foot, 300 pound plodding center, but a six, nine, six, 10 guy with low post skills, legit low post skills. Uh, as, hybrid. as long as about. that, as long, no, this is just an old school dude. Who can, a dude who has old school, low post skills. As long as that dude catches the ball in the post, and keeps the ball above his head, turns and shoots, rather than dribble, put the ball on the floor, trying to back down and do all the other kind of stuff, 
If he just catches and shoots the ball, he will be taller than his small ball defender all day, every day. So when Rockets got P.J. Tucker, 6'5", James Harden, 6'5", who are got strong lower body, can get under those, you know, taller dudes and help push them further away from the basket, that strength is great. That strength is important. Once that tall dude, taller dude gets the ball, he's still going to be taller than that 6'5 dude as long as he keeps the ball above his head, turns and shoots. Too many times in, in college and pro, these dudes trying to, these taller dudes trying to back them down, back them down, dribble, 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 making themselves shorter. You are a taller man or a woman. So why are you shrinking and allowing the smaller defender to have an even chance, a better chance of defending you? You are taller than this person. Mouse in the house. Turn. Use your height and shoot over that, that sort of dude and run down the floor and tell him, you can't stop this. Y'all can be small ball day long. I'm still taller than you. I'm going to catch the ball right at this block right here again. Turn shoot over you one more time. You can't stop this. And you, you just keep doing this small ball all day long. You want to shoot that three? You're going to miss some threes at some point. I'm going to get these twos all day long right here on this block. Team will do that. The taller dude doesn't do that. They, they, it's like ego gets involved. I'm going to just back this dude, this, this little fella down, try to back him down. Why? Why are you crouching down lower, dribbling for the other small dudes to come run at you to remove your height advantage? Turn and shoot over this dude. He ain't going to stop you. But teams don't do it. Woodley, Elvin Hayes, yep. Jack Sigma, at inside pivot. He would kill these dudes now today. <laughs> Just kill them all day long. We know you, we, if you listen to any of the uh, Cougars game, home games, especially, and you hear Elvin talk about you know the players, uh, guys in different eras. He talks about that on a regular basis. You know how it's, it's you know it's a catch, stand, and shoot type game. That's what he has. He, he, you know, he was jumping. Akeem's, Akeem's jump up. hook. Give me the ball. I'm going to catch this ball, turn over my left shoulder, jump hook. You ain't going to stop it all day. Give me the ball. Left shoulder, jump hook all day. Give me the, give me the ball. Jump hook all day. I'm taller than you. You're shorter than me. You ain't going to stop this shot. So you keep doing the small ball. I'm going to light your behind, your short behind up in this post. Team will do. Well, you know, they're quicker than me on the other end. Well, if y'all can rotate on defense, get a hand up or get them off the, run them off that three-point line, they can go to the, the layup. They don't, want to, they don't want to drive and score two points. They want to shoot three. A good Slash great defensive team removes your first option. If your first option is 
to shoot threes, well, I'm going to make sure you don't shoot threes. If it means I got to stand out higher above the three-point line to make you put the ball on the floor and go past me and don't help off anybody else and give up the paint, take that layup. Take that two. You take that two-pointer, you don't want to do that. I got the ball on the other end. I am still taller than you all day. I am still taller than you. So if I'm taking a easy post-up shot and you're not taking these threes, I win. The Rockets have conditioned the NBA sleep down to college, look at Villanova and their success, win the national championship. Threes more than twos. That's what we hear nowadays. Threes more than twos. The floor spacing is just tremendous. Just, it's just beautiful to watch basketball. Look at the spacing. You can't defend this. Hell. You're not trying to defend this. Rockets shoot 53s a game. Goal is to make 18. 53s a game. 60 sometimes. Space the floor so well. James Harden at the top of the key. Go ahead, James. Do, do all this dribble between your legs with your, your good legal step back shot and then your travel step back shot because it's two different shots. One of your travels on, on a step back. You going to drive by me? Drive by me. I'm not going to help off of you. My team, teammates going stick to with, stick with your teammates in the corners. You didn't take no threes. But they're so, Rockets are so good at forcing teams out of their comfort zone, they still get those threes. Come playoff time, I want to see teams force the Rockets, if they can, out of their comfort zone. And then let's see how the Rockets adjust. If you let the Rockets play that style, you're going to lose. And chances are it won't even be close. But if you get the Rockets to play your game, how did the Spurs beat the Rockets last year in the playoffs? Hello. How did Hello, the Spurs pick. beat the Rockets? Hello, pick screens. Hello, pick screens. Marcus Aldridge posted up Clint Capella Sunday, Easter Sunday, posted up. Luke Mbai Mute posted up PJ Tucker. Turn a shot. Turn a shot all day. Just threes are more than two. But the closer you get to the basket is a higher percentage shot. Right? That a doctor? Right? Right, Doc? That's it. That's exactly right. Okay. So if I got a a good big man who can score in a low post, turn and shoot. Don't put the ball on the floor. Don't get shorter. Stay tall. And then we will do our job, rotate on defense, and get them out of their comfort zone. In the case of the playoffs, you see that in the early rounds, people don't necessarily have the talent. There you go. Uh, even if they push them out of their comfort zone, 
you still have the fact that the other team has to convert on whatever offensive style they're playing. I think when it gets even more interesting, as you talk about later in the rounds, meaning you obviously have better and usually deeper teams, so your margin for error is not as big as you would have in the early rounds. So the things that you're talking about really start to add up when you have teams that are just as talented as you, or in some cases more talented than you, and they force you out of your comfort zone, what can you do? So I think in early rounds, as we see, Rockets will prevail. They'll force the tempo to get it done. But much of what you're alluding to is talking about in the later rounds. And essentially we're talking about the matchup with Golden State. And um, We'll get a chance, I think, to talk a little more about it as we get closer. But just I think this is a good chance to give everybody an early glimpse of what to expect in the playoffs. I don't see any major upsets uh, in terms of the top teams going on. You might see some upsets as the West is really packed between those teams, um, essentially four through eight. And so I think anything can quite happen there when you start to see those teams match up in terms of your four, five, and maybe three, six. Now the Rockets uh, right uh, now would play the Minnesota or Denver in that one eight matchup. Both those teams it'd be like us trying to play the Lakers, the Showtime Lakers. That's an ideal matchup for the Rockets. Neither one of those teams can have the mental makeup to deal with the Rockets. Denver has personnel that you would think, well, this should be a tough matchup for the Rockets. Get them outside of Denver. Is this this these games? This you have even this not even close. We got the head coach for the Nuggets. We just I don't know how, how we beat this team. We we just come out of these guys at all. We used to win. We're not even in the same arena with them right now. <laughs> I mean, and Minnesota doesn't shoot the three ball enough. Well, if you don't shoot three enough and don't stop the Rockets from shooting the three. You can get destroyed, and that's what's happening with Minnesota. So, I'd be just floored if Minnesota or Denver wins more than one game in the first round against the Rockets. So, four or five games done, and then you have Golden State maybe playing in Oklahoma City, and that's going six or seven. So, like I said, the more rest the Rockets get, the better it is for them. All right, Doc, you touched on it earlier in the podcast that that you were traveling around. So just detail what you experienced and give us an HBCU report. Yes, yeah, certainly it started with the first four, as they call it, on the men's side, where I traveled uh, to Dayton, Ohio, to see what I thought was a very historic matchup. And I'll give you some insight of why I thought as such a historic matchup, uh, which was the matchup between Texas Southern University of the SWAC and North Carolina Central of the MEAC clan in this Final Four. Um, they, you hadn't had an instance where the two HBC conferences faced off against each other in the NCAA Division One tournament, and some people uh, didn't want to see it. But in this case, I think it 
uh, in a lot of ways made sense. Uh, from the standpoint that both teams didn't win the regular season and, and came in uh, getting hot in the tournament. Essentially, you had Grandma State winning the regular season uh, for the slack, and then you had a three-way tie between Hampton, Savannah State, and North Carolina A&T winning the MEAC. So in upsets fashions, you had Texas Southern and North Carolina Central winning their tournaments, and so they went in appropriately in my eyes in a lot of ways. The good thing is, you know, the HBCU conference was going to win the game, and that conference would get actually two credits uh, as you get one credit, if you would, or one unit, as they like to call it, for getting in a tournament, and then you get a unit for every time you win it. So in this case, SWAC got two units, which is really good for the SWAC with, as they try to rebuild the conference in some ways some things out there about the uh, financial stability of the conference. And if that is indeed the case, this certainly will help them, as you're talking about. Instead of just giving me 1.7 over uh, six years, now you're talking about 3.4, uh, if you will, over the next six years. So that was big. But the other reason that I've seen this is such a historic matchup, this is like 65 in the years in the Mason. So what are you talking about? Yes, actually, North Carolina Central and Texas Southern University literally played uh, six, five years ago in 1953. In that time, they were playing the National Association Steering Committee, uh, which you had historic coach John McClendon and some other historic coaches that were looking at uh, desegregating the NAIA. And he said, well, I thought the NAIA tournament desegregated in 1947, if you would, some five years uh, before that, essentially. And that is case. Legendary coach of uh, UCLA going in there and having an African-American play in the tournament. But that was the desegregation of the NI uh, in terms of a player. But now you have later in 1951 is when you first thought you were going to get it, and it didn't happen there, even though the NASC did have a tournament. Tennessee State won that tournament, but at that time they were denied access to the tournament in terms of a black institution or what we refer to today as HBCUs. Finally, in 1952, you did have a team going to play, and that was, again, Tennessee State. In 1953, when we talk about this historic matchup with North Carolina Central and Southern actually played in the second round of this tournament. At that time, North Carolina Central won the game handily, beating Texas Southern University, coached by Ed Allen, legendary coach that had won multiple championships, including four straight and SWAC. Uh, five straight overall, starting with the Midwestern uh, Athletic Conference in six out of seven years in terms of what's going on. You hadn't seen that type of run until Coach Mike Davis of Texas Southern University has done it recently over the last four or five years to talk about his run. Uh, but that was just some of the legendary matchups in terms of what was taking place. North Carolina Central uh, was being coached by John McClendon in a lot of ways during this time before he leaves to go to Tennessee and uh and win those three championships. Now we call it Tennessee State. This is McClendon that coach under uh, the founder uh Nate Smith in terms of basketball. Uh, later we'll talk about his connection in a lot of ways to Ben Joe and the honor that another swag coach got. But that's just why I thought this game was historic in nature to kind of fill in fill in that gap for those listeners out there talking about what took place in terms of the SWAC 
And so before that we had our gear that update and uh wanted to show some love to the women as we talked about earlier in the show. So let me talk about some softball of what's going on in this time of the year. And then we'll get into some baseball updates and then we'll close it on the ward and tie it back into Ben Joe uh and that connection that we talked about with John McClendon. So with that in terms of MEAC, uh let's jump into the Northern Division and talk about those top two or three teams here. You have Delaware State sitting at seven and two, uh half game above Morgan State sitting at six and two, and then uh, a couple of games ahead of Hanson sitting at four and two. Going to the Southern Division, you have Florida A and M getting it done over their rival Bethune Cookman, sitting at eight and one, six and three respectively. Yeah, Savannah State tied with Bethune Cookman in the loss column, but playing three less games, sitting at three and three in terms of what's going on there. Just outside, you have North Carolina A&T four and five, who's having a down year, and you see a little more about that on the men's side as they really are showing up. But let's jump into the swag in terms of softball here. You have Texas Southern, who is currently undefeated, sitting at six and zero. Behind them, are Arkansas Pineville sitting at six and three, Prairie sitting at five and three. Uh, to make it interesting, Texas Southern has dominated the western side of the division in softball and the conference to some degree. They won multiple championships. Can they go undefeated is something that I'm interested to see about going on the rest of the season. Jump up to the eastern division. You see the two Alabama schools with Alabama A&M sitting at 7-2, and a full game behind them is Alabama State 6-3. Really interesting there. And then uh, sitting there, is Alcorn State sitting at four and two playing three less games in terms of Alabama A and M was tied with them in the loss column. Back to the react in terms of baseball. Starting the Northern Division, uh, as we get into baseball talk, Coppin State uh, sitting at ten and two, really playing some good baseball. Uh, three game lead in terms of loss column sitting over Northern State at six and seven and five. <clears throat> and then you go into the Southern Division. We have two teams that are really playing some good baseball. North Carolina A&T sitting at 7-4. Florida A&M sitting at 7-4. Behind them, uh, Bethune Cookman sitting at 7-5. One game back in the loss column. And we'll jump in here and give you some uh, updates on the Eagles. North Carolina Central sitting at 6-6. Six six. North Carolina A&T is having a banner year in athletics. Started off with football. They got it done. Winning a black college national championship in the Celebration Bowl over Grambling State after winning the MEAC Redwood Season Championship by beating uh, their rob, in-state rival North Carolina Central. Then they went on and, and went as basketball, got a regular season championship. And then on the men's side, they were tied in a three-way tie that we talked about uh, with Hampton, Savannah State, those two teams leaving the MEAC uh, North. Oh, excuse me, Hampton going into the Big South, Savannah State returning to the SIC at the Division Two level. But A&P, Won the regular season in the tie court. Just last week, they won the NEAC Bowling Championship, so they are in the hunt again for another championship as they get it done. Last thing I want to talk about uh, before we get to that, give a little love to the GIAC, uh, where you see Elwood Water sitting at 15 and 21 on the softball side, and Tyler Davis sitting at 8 and 14. You have three teams playing in baseball in GCAC with Talladega sitting at 18-11 overall, 23-14. and 14, uh, With Edward Waters and Tugler sitting at 15-18. Talladega is sitting at 10-2 in the conference, really running away with it. 
playing some really big baseball, getting some good things done in terms of what's going on there. Just give you an update on some of the excitement uh, taking place. I told you I was uh, moving in the air, so I moved from going from Dayton to Atlanta to the Black Studies Conference there in Atlanta at Thursday and Friday, <clears throat> talking about some HBCU um, framing of looking at changing the degree plans and creating new programs at HBCUs, looking at uh, doing that from a perspective of African studies. I did, some, I did a research presentation on that. Following week, I went out to San Diego, where it's talking about it's crisscrossing the country, doing a conference on some diversity and inclusion. Very intriguing there. Bring some of the information back to Texas Southern University. And then I went back up, as we said, to the Final Four. So I went from the opening first four of the men's side to the Final Four on the women's side, seeing some excellent championship games uh, on that. Uh, semifinals, both teams going in uh, to overtime, and then obviously the cut game winner in the championship game. So, man, glad I had to say that I was actually in the building to see those kind of things go down. Past weekend, I had a chance to take my son on the road, do our road warrior trip, as he would, to see his, as he says, Nana and Papa, his grandmother, grandfather, and then to see his two uncles, as well as his cousins, um, this particular weekend as we went from Dallas. Um, so that was intriguing. We booked in it. We're watching Prairie and Baseball. Uh, as they lost in the 10th inning, opened up the series on Friday against Grambling, bounced back on Saturday, 10-run ruled them, and then got a big victory, as we saw today, coming back into town uh, as they scored two big runs in the bottom eighth after the game was kind of going back and forth and held them off in the ninth as they uh, didn't allow them to score to take their victory and cut them two, taking the series two out of three as they got it done. That puts them in the position, as we said, in the record to make sure they get in the tournament. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, as I went through Waco to go home to see the parents, I had a chance to drive up to see my brother in Dallas and see where I on Saturday to be a part of the TVIL Coaches Association. Uh, as we're preparing for the annual Hall of Fame banquet dinner this year in San Diego in terms of what's taking place there as we honor uh, players that played in the PBIL, which is the time when you had uh, the segregated high schools in Texas. A lot of the memorabilia of history is still alive in these guys as I'm a board member now. And so including myself, trying to make sure that we hold on this history. So that, that was exciting uh, to get a chance to get that done and talk about moving forward and even finding us some space back at Prairie View as I talked with AB uh, and, and looking at uh, HBCU history. Last thing I'll close on, if you would, is Dante Jackson, Brown's coach that won the regular season, was named Ben Joe National Coach of the Year. That's the Ben Joe that many people may know him most famously for his big NCAA upset over Georgia Tech, where he was the assistant coach, uh, being printed by the Crimson there at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech at that time, uh, he is a legendary coach coaching at Southern with many victories before that at Alabama State, winning multiple championships uh, at the Division II and SIC before Alabama State later joined the SWAC in 1982. And Joe actually uh, was assistant coach under John McClendon at Tennessee A&I 
uh, and fifth around the time. So I'm going to give some uh, kudos to Dante Jackson, the Grambling, getting it done in terms of that National Coach of the Year. The last thing I'll leave you with is a quote that he said in terms of winning the award. Quote, this is a tremendous honor to be put in the category with great basketball coaches, end quote. This uh, was a championship, regular season championship for Grambling, the first time they won in 30 years going back to 1988-89 when they got it done. Jackson was also earned the National Association of Basketball Coaches NCAA Division I District 23 Coach of the Year and the Southwestern Athletic Coach of the Year. So his clause is getting full with everything that he got done uh, as uh, you give him tremendous kudos uh, for Coach Dante Jackson. That'll do it for your ACC Sports Report. Appreciate it, Doc. And real quick, Doc, I want to get your thoughts on the decision by uh, Darius Basley, high school young man who was uh, an All-American, committed to uh, Syracuse University, but it decided to, instead of going to play for Syracuse in the fall, he's going to the G League, the NBA G League, for his one year, and then hopefully uh, be drafted in the 2019 draft. So do you believe that uh, other high school players will follow suit? And do you believe they should, uh, you know, if it suits them, should follow suit and go to the G League instead right. of going to college? Right, I think were, um, key to what you're saying there is if it fits them. I certainly mm-hmm. think they should have an option. I think one thing that's going to be interesting to see about this is, is this young man able to sign a tennis shield tennis shoe deal, uh, which in a lot of ways could be worth more than his first contract in the NBA, certainly obviously more than what he would get in the G League. So I think it's a, it's an option. Your goal is to play at the highest level and you have the ability to at least negotiate uh, with, um, with earning your own rights so it'll be interesting to see what does this make the NCAA do. There's all the brand talk about going to the baseball model where if you go to college, you got to spend at least two years there. Uh, it doesn't seem like the NCAA is interested in changing uh, even the least bit in terms of paying players, and that is much as talking about the, even the value of them own earning money off their name, uh, naming rights and licensing. And so... I think this is something to keep our eyes on and look forward with. I, I think it'll be more of a trickle, but it's certainly something that we can see in the near future. Players, particularly as we've seen them go overseas, we've seen network, but now it looks like the NBA is talking about pushing up their development and providing more opportunities. So if that's the case, I certainly see this uh, move going forward. And I think it's a great opportunity, young man. Uh, you can only get better at your craft working with uh, to doing it as a professional and putting in the hours, and you don't get that at the college level. Not that I do not believe that education is great, uh, but obviously he can still um, get a chance to go to college. The only way that you can't get that done is, is being an NCAA, where they say you can't do both, be a professional and play in, in a collegiate athletics. But if you were in the band and you were, a talented person, you can go to college and still play professionally in band. So I don't see why you shouldn't be able to do that in athletics. Same way with dancers, 
and other people in the arts. And I don't see why athletics in a lot of ways is the arts as well. So I think uh, you give yourself the best opportunity to move forward. You're certainly in a position where capitalism is celebrated in, the, in every other capacity in America, so why not in terms of what this young man does? So I wish him well and wish him the best. And I encourage, I posted the, uh, a link to the article on our podcast Facebook page. So I do encourage the listeners to, if you haven't already done so, read an article posted on the playerstribune.com that Darius wrote. And just a few quick takes from uh, the article that I think are uh, important. He says, I'm viewing this next year as an investment in myself. I won't get the chance to play in a nationally televised rivalry game or in an NCAA tournament, but while the spotlight is on the players who do, I'm going to be grinding. I'll be in some gym measuring myself up against great players and trying to surpass them. And the key, he knows top salary is only $26,000 in the G League. But important, as you touched on, if he has a chance to get an endorsement deal, then he'll make more than that. But as he said in the article, he said the article, he's 17 years old. He's never had much money. He thought five bucks in his wallet was a big deal. So $26,000 to him will be it's a lot of money to him at 17. But last thing I'll say was from Darius. I understand that there are risks involved in being the first person to try something like this. But honestly, I'm taking a risk every time I step onto the basketball court. This game guarantees you nothing, and you're only as good as your health. Amen. So I wish him good luck. And a statement by the young man. Yes. So he's thought about it. He's, you know, spoke to us, his family about it, and his coaches, people that he trusts. It's not like he woke up one, one day last week and said, I'm going to G League. So he's put, he's just, you know, he's put thought into this and we'll get back to the money. He said if, if he was in it for the money, he'd probably go overseas because you definitely get more than 26 grand from a, an overseas team. So all those things are, I think, legit. And I don't believe it's going to be a, you know, a massive influx of high school kids going to the G League. But as you touched on, I think some others will do it. They're probably going to wait to see how well Darius does in the G League and then where he's drafted in 2019. And if he's drafted high and if his game develops during his one year, you know, this fall in the G League, then it may, you know, speed up the process. So we'll see how it all plays out. I wish him well. It's his decision. And uh, he, it's part of life. You got to make a decision. You got to stick with it and make the best of it. So good luck to him. And we'll continue um, following him. I'm sure there will be uh, reports and news stories about him as he works through his first year in the G League. So he won't be a stranger to uh, us as we do podcasts in the future. His name is Darius Brasley. Darius Basley, B-A-Z-L-E-Y. So good luck to him. Going to wrap it up on our podcast. Once again, you can catch us on the podcast outlets such as SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Pod Directory, etc. 
Um, Doc, one more time, let's let folks know where they can find you on the internet. Sure, you can find me on social media platforms on Dr. Kenyatta Cabill. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find me on the website at theheritagegroupagency.com, theheritagegroupagency.com. And I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review, HoustonRoundBallReview.com, Houston Round Ball Review on Instagram and YouTube, the Review on Twitter. And you can go to uh, my men's who's blog at HoustonRoundBallReview.com as well as you haven't seen on Twitter information about the University of Houston men's basketball team becoming the seventh men's basketball program to be a part of the Jordan brand family, the only men's basketball program in the state of Texas to be part of the Jordan brand, have a Jordan Jumpman logo on their athletic apparel that will begin this fall. That was announced Ooh. Friday. It's already open. Indeed, it's already opened some eyes and ears of people around city and, and state. Oh, man, Houston's not part of Jordan brand. I didn't, I'm old, Doc. Apparently, clearly, I'm old. Okay, because the the fellas on the team, the high schoolers, it just blew their mind. They were when Coach Sampson walked into the. They didn't go to U of H Athletics YouTube channel and see the behind the scenes announcement the coach made to the team and gave them their each a brand new pair of Jordans. The fellas knew what model these shoes were when they got them out the box. They were like, oh, those, those are the nines. It's the, well, you know what it's called. It's, those are the Jordan nines or whatever. And I'm like, that's what it's like, the Jordan nines. So, yeah, I'm just like, hey, if it makes y'all happy and you think it's going to help right. the brand, it's adding more exposure to the program, all for it. You know, good, good for U of H as an alum. I'm real happy about it. The team's happy about it. You know, and, and it's an elite deal. As Chris Paul, you can go to uh, my Instagram and Twitter. Being a part of the Jordan brand, only a handful of teams and a handful of players that are part of the Jordan brand. So they see something in the University of Houston men's basketball to invest in. So that is a great deal for the program and the bar continues to be raised by Coach Sampson and his staff for UH men's basketball uh, 2018 season. They've already begun work working out. You know, the players doing the individual stuff using this past season disappointment of that last second three-point buzzer beater to Michigan in the second round. That defeat as motivation to do better this coming season. So now they got the the Jordan brand stuff to wear. So it, they're excited about the coming season. We'll see how it all plays out on the court. So that's a good thing. So much other things we could discuss in future podcasts. We can talk about the the local NFL football team's owner continuing to put his foot in his mouth um, with his not apologies. He's sorry, not sorry. Comment that he said in the past, 
we could do that. This, but more and more things we could talk about, and perhaps we'll have on another baseball expert for y'all to talk about the Astros and what they're doing, because I think baseball season has started in amazing baseball. Not a big deal to me, but, you know, whatever. <clears throat> I'm in NBA playoff mode now, so that's where I'm going. And for the listeners, uh, in case you don't know, we have already begun planning for the, the 2019 Women's Final Four in Tampa. So that's already in the works. It's a lot of different things yeah, that we're doing. Right. It's a lot of different things that we're doing. And we're trying to do different things in terms of podcasts and to be more uh, consistent and doing the weekly. So there will be changes forthcoming. So just pay attention to us on Twitter and Facebook and other social media platforms. But we're going to wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't add this other Coach of the Year award. That's named after another legendary HBCU coach. Uh, you have Morehouse Brewers. We talked about Morehouse Tigers, Maroon Tigers' great season. Uh, coach Grady Brewer uh, went into the SIC tournament with an impressive 24 and one overall record, 18 and one in conference play. He was number one seed, where he did get upset. Uh, but on the season, he finished 25-3, and three, and for his great season, he was honored with uh, the Clarence Gaines Award. So he was 2018 Clarence Gaines Award, which is the great legendary coach, uh, Big House Clarence Gaines, over there at Winston-Salem State University. And this is presented annually to the top Division II basketball coach. So Morehouse College's Grady Brewer, has been named recipient of the 2018 Clarence Games Award. Fantastic. Congratulations to him. And that's a great way to, to end our podcast. So I'm going to wrap it up. Once again, as I always do, in conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.